verse 1 through 2. Let's read it. And it says, Now Jacob lifted his eyes, and he looked, and there Esau was coming. And with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Again, what was going on through his heart, seeing his angry brother, the 400 men with him. We also see the favoritism that Jacob still had, right? He put the maidservants and their kids first. Then he put Leah and her kids first. And then Rachel at the end. And we've talked about it in this season, just how dangerous and destructive favoritism is. And uh, man, just the heart of of Jacob and all the mistakes he's made, all the things that he's done, and yet the Lord still wants to use him, right? Verse 3, then he crossed over before them and he bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother, but Esau ran to meet him, right? Stop, don't read anymore to keep the suspense, right? Hopefully this is your first time reading this, but he has to be freaking out. And we should be reminded of God's blessing and prophecy for Jacob in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. While he was still in his mother's womb, the Lord pronounced a blessing and a promise for these men, right? Verse 23, it says, One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. This was with Isaac and Ishmael. This was the promise for them. It's the same promise that's given for Jacob and Esau, yet we saw all the problems with Isaac, their father, the problems that led to the family. But if only he would have held on to that promise and blessing instead of stealing and conniving and lying to his brother and to his dad to get it. But now we find him here having to bow himself seven times. He's still trying to show humility over and over and over again. And like we've talked about, in an alternate dimension, in an alternate universe, maybe they grew up together and they were still close-knit brothers, another thing to look at later on. Uh, But David Guzik, he makes this great point for us to be reminded of. It's still common to suffer some problem because we try to accomplish what we think to be God's will, or to protect our interest in merely human energy and wisdom. You see, God never needs us to sin to help him fulfill his plan in our lives. It should be a good reminder to us. God never needs us to sin in order to fulfill his plan in our lives. And right now what Jacob is going through is simply reaping what he has sown. His sin, his conniving, his stealing, his cheating. He's just reaping it. He's freaking out. We saw that he gave like 220 cattle. He gave servants. He gave sheep wave after wave of blessing and promise to Esau. Then it says, right, he's bowing himself seven times. That means each time that he takes, he takes a couple steps, then he would bow to the floor. Get up, take a couple more steps, and bow to the floor. And again, Esau's coming the other way. 400 men behind him, and Jacob's just bowing down, getting up, walking. Bowing down, getting up, walking. And what must have been going through his mind, right? Thank God at this point now he positions himself at the front of the line where last two chapters, if you remember, he was at the back of the line, 
right? He had all the family first and forward so that if anything happened, he could run away. Maybe after God touched his hip, he realized, man, ain't no way I'm out running this one way or another. So might as well go down in the front of the family. But we should be, again, reminded of Jacob's blessing with God, right? That in his wrestling with the Lord, begging and pleading, please give me a blessing, the Lord said, hey, I'm going to bless you. You have prevailed with God. You will prevail with men as well. Psalm 27, it's a great reminder to us. And one of the commentators, he mentions this verse. And it is very true for us to be reminded of with what Jacob is going through. Jacob, who should be calling himself Israel, uh, but yet he hasn't been doing so. Psalm 27 Verse 3 through 4, it tells us, Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Again, maybe God had done this work in Jacob. Maybe he's not fearful. Maybe he's just going at it and saying, Lord, your will be done in my life. But maybe, again, he's freaking out. We don't know. It's fun to wonder, right? But verse 4, Esau's running at him. And then he embraces him. He falls on his neck. He kissed him. And then they began to weep. Again, the feelings, the emotions that must have gone on here. We can read this very plain, black and white. But to remember, two humans involved here, right? Two humans that have dealt with not the best parenting. Two humans that have dealt with favoritism, problems within the family, right? We see the dad bringing a secret there with Esau, his brother. The mom's listening into the secret. It's just a terrible family dynamic. And yet they haven't seen each other for 20 years. And they fall and they hug, and they're just crying with one another. And what in the world did the Lord do to Esau's heart? Was he planning on killing him? I don't know. I think so. 20 years of time has gone by. Usually that doesn't lead to more forgiveness. Usually that leads to more anger and hatred. But perhaps as he was running, he sees his brother, right, limping and bowing and limping and bowing. And maybe he's, I can't hit a cripple, right? I can't kill a The guy has glasses. I can't hit him, right? Maybe that's what's going on through Esau. Maybe Jacob's plan really worked. Uh, but, man, we need to give the glory to the Lord. We have to give the glory to the Lord, right? The promise that God had for Jacob, he's fulfilling it. Even though Jacob's doing basically everything he can in his power to go against it, the Lord is fulfilling his promise to him, And now the Lord has worked in Esau's heart. And through this chapter, Esau's the one that looks much more like a man who's governed by God than Jacob or who should, we should know as Israel is acting and living like. You see, we don't see these two men talking about their problem, talking about their incident. They're simply weeping and loving each other. Two brothers that haven't seen each other in 20 years. Right? The conversation that must happen. No, man. Mom's not around anymore. Mom didn't make it. You know, maybe that's why Jacob is crying even more, thinking, man, the last moments he spent with his mom was lying and betraying his dad and his brother. Maybe that's why they're weeping. Maybe that's why they're broken. But again, we see here the maturity in Esau 
Maybe it's just a moment in time where God is working in his heart. But in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, great verse for us to memorize and be reminded of. He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. And we see this here. The Bible doesn't make record of Esau saying, you remember when, bro, you tricked me for the bowl of beans? Then how in the world did you trick dad? How in the world did you get so much hair? What did you do, right? We don't know what happened. But the brokenness between these two men and the work that the Lord has done in them. It's also a great reminder to us. We shouldn't be holding any grudges towards anyone. There's no room for believers to be holding grudges against other people and not to be forgiving others. We should be reminded, right? We like to say the Lord's Prayer, but we need to be forgiving others, right? Ask the Lord, hey, forgive me as I forgive others. That's sort of there all throughout scriptures. The measure of forgiveness that we give to others, that's how the Lord is going to continue to forgive us and work in us. And I don't know about you guys, but I need a lot of forgiveness. And that's why we need to continue to forgive others and love on others because God has loved on us and God has forgiven us. We will see in the next chapter the problems of seeking revenge on your own and how it only leads to more problems. Verse 5 through 7, most of this is from Esau's perspective. He lifts up his eyes, he sees the women, he sees the children and he says, who are these with you? So Jacob answers, we see more Israel here than Jacob, right? He says, the children who God has graciously given your servant. And then the maidservants came near, they and their children, and they bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. And afterwards, Joseph and Rachel, they came near, and they bowed down. Again, we see Jacob here giving glory to the Lord and continuing to stay humble with his brother. We should turn to Psalm 127, a great reminder for us with children, the day and age we live in, they can be looked down upon. Many parents can simply complain about having kids, and it's totally backwards of what God's word says and the way that we as Christians should look at children and having the family in the home. We'll read the whole chapter. It's five verses. It tells us, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gates. Again, children, it's a heritage from the Lord. It's a blessing from the Lord. We shouldn't demonize them or say that they've stolen the years of our youth or they've taken our opportunity to create business or wealth because that is truly at least biblically, if that's the way you're looking at life, it's a blessing and heritage from God. And as believers, that's the way we should be looking at them. One thing me and my wife noticed as we were a young couple and getting married is people that had lots of kids, they were always happy and said, hey, have lots of kids, right? But people with one kid or two kids, freaking out, never more than that. That's too crazy, right? It's important. A quiver, most people believe, is at least five arrows. 
Okay, that's between you, your wife, and the Lord, uh, what you guys do with that. Uh, but man, kids, they are a blessing from the Lord. And we shouldn't be looking at it with selfishness. Again, chapter 35 will show us what happens when a dad is just living in selfishness. Back to chapter 33, verse 8 and 9. It says, Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And here we see a sense of contentment in Esau. We don't see him whining and complaining about the deck of cards he's been dealt or that Jacob was mama's favorite or any problems. We see contentment. No, bro, I got what I have. Keep what you have. It's okay. Very important verse to remember. You don't have to turn there. First Timothy 6, chapter 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Important to be content in whatever season you're in, right? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is about contentment. Not about pushing weights or fighting anybody else. It's about contentment. So again, has the Lord done something great in Esau's heart here? I don't know. And more and more, that's what it looks like as we go through this chapter. Again, maybe he feels bad looking at his brother now, a cripple, hobbling everywhere. Maybe the gifts really work. Uh, but it's so important to look at God and God's working. What we see here in Esau is that the Lord blessed him and the Lord took care of him. Even though he wasn't a part of the Abrahamic covenant, the Lord still blessed and protected Esau. Just like the Lord blessed and protected Hagar. Just like the Lord blessed and protected Ishmael. Our God, he is a good and just God. Verse 10 and 11, Jacob says, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, please receive my present from my hand inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I have seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. One thing that I've noticed is vastly different between Christianity or should be different in Christianity than being with unbelievers, and hopefully you've seen it at least once in your life, is a battle for who picks up the bill, right? Sometimes within Christianity that happens. You go out to eat with someone and there's sort of this battle, this trickery of who can take the bill to bless the other person, and sometimes you just need to submit, right, and just take it. Hopefully you've picked up the bill for someone in your life. But Robert Jameson, he points out that in the Eastern culture, the acceptance by a superior is proof of friendship. If it's by an enemy and they accept it, it's proof of reconciliation. And it was on both accounts that Jacob was so anxious that his brother would receive the cattle and the blessing and the gift. In Esau's acceptance, he had the strongest proofs of a good feeling being established and the Eastern notions admit of this. Again, he was begging, man, can we be friends? Can you forgive me? Please accept this gift of mine. And Esau, he went ahead and he took it. And then verse 12, we see Esau, he says, hey, brother, let's take our journey. Let us go and I will go before you. Again, Esau's heart, I think God did something radical in Esau's heart here. And he's saying, bro, let's go together. Let's make up for lost time. We haven't seen each other in 20 years. Mom is dead. Dad is, he's still around. Dad is old, right? Let's go visit him. Let's hang out. Let's make up for lost time. 
I have my men. I have a 400-man army. Let's go together. I'll go before you, and let's be a family once again. But verse 13, Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord and see her. And Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, and he made boots for his livestock. And therefore the name of the place is called Succoth, which means boots in Hebrew. So we see Jacob here, and there's a lot of Jacob left in Israel, right? I don't think all the cattle would have died in one day of walking, right? Just one more day of walking, one more day of moving. I don't believe that's the case. And we know, we'll look at it later on, the Lord wanted Jacob to come back to his family and to the land of his family. That was the Lord's will for his life. And even in him saying, hey, go on ahead and I'll catch up to you, his brother goes southeast and he goes northwest. He goes the exact opposite way of his brother, Right? God, maybe I got lucky this one time Esau's pretty nice, but I'm not, I'm not wanting to press my luck, right? Maybe he still wants to kill me. Maybe he secretly wants to kill me and take all my family. And Jacob, he relies on his strength instead of relying on the Lord. Again, Genesis chapter 31, verse 3, The Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Again, the problem isn't simply that he declined, but that he declined and he, he begins to lie and not tell the truth. And we'll see later on how this will gravely affect Jacob and his family. And some people, they say, Jacob, he didn't want the bad company of Esau around him, that Esau would turn on him, that this was him making a, a stand to stay away from unbelievers. But the fruit of Jacob's decision proves otherwise very important verse luke chapter 7 verse 35 jesus speaking says wisdom is justified by all her children wisdom is vindicated by all her children and many people make decisions many christians make decisions and almost every decision is blamed on god or on the devil right every decision is blamed on god or on the devil but the fruit of those decisions will truly show was this of God or was this of man? Was this carnal or was this of the Lord or was this of the enemy? And the fruit that we will see in Jacob's decision, you guys tell me what you think it is. Uh, but verse 18 through 20, it tells us, Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And when he came from Padan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city, and he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent. And from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. And then he erected an altar there, and he called it El Elohe Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. And again, it's important for us to note more and more as we study Genesis chapter 31 and 30, God was drawing him to his family and to Bethel. Genesis chapter 31, 
you look at verse 13, it tells us, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. And what it looks like to us here is that Jacob is only half obeying the Lord here. He's only half obeying the Lord here. And like I mentioned in Luke 7, wisdom is justified by her children. And we know that after a great blunder in chapter 34, the first verse in chapter 35, it says, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. It's as if God has been after him for 20 years to come to Bethel, come to the house of God. And maybe that's where you're at, that God, he's after you. Hey, come home. Come to the house of God. Five years. Come to the house of God. 14 years. Come to the house of God. 20 years. And the Lord, he's still after Jacob. He's been changed to Israel. He should be governed by God. But his decision making here, it's just about himself. We should be reminded of 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, where it tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. Just because you make a poor decision and then you prayed about it or you dedicated to the Lord doesn't mean that was God's will for your life. Lots of times we can Christianese things, right? And I ate all the bacon in the buffet because I read kill and eat, you know, so I just ate all the bacon that was there, right? And we can take things out of context. It's so important to be so humble as we approach God's word and our decision making. Now in chapter 34, we come to one of the most shameful chapters in all the Bible. And it's important to note that the Lord, he doesn't hold back from revealing the mistakes, the sins, and the evil in his people or even the lineage that he uses to bring Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God being all-powerful and all-knowing, yet love itself is able to create this beautiful painting in spite of our failures, mistakes, and blunders. Truly, he is the awesome God. Verse 1, chapter 34, now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Again, remember, Jacob, he's not out in the farmland like his father and his father was. He dwelt in the city. This should remind us a lot of Lot, right? Abraham, he was fine being out in the wilderness with the Lord, but Lot, he looked at the city. The city looked nice, and he got closer and closer to the city. In the city, there's protection with walls, there's more prosperity, there's more people, right? There's more things to do living in the city than out in the country. But he allowed the fear of his brother, right? A lot of this is all driven with, let me just stay away from Esau. Let me just stay far away from Esau. A lot of his decision making is based on fear of his brother. Next, it's on comfort and safety, Hey, what's the most comfortable thing for me? What's the safest thing for me? This is a lot of his decision making here. And finally, potential prosperity ruled his decision instead of obeying the Lord's commands. The Lord told him, hey, come to your family, come to the land of your father's family. But instead, he begins to dwell in this city. And Dinah, she's the only recorded daughter for us in God's word. Usually that's just because she has a very special part in the story. But in this time, she's about 14 years old, and she wants to go see the daughters of the city. 
They're there in the city. Hey, I want to go see how the people are living, right? I want to go see what's going on. I want to go see the people, right? Think of random Disney songs with a three-year-old girl in my head, right? Uh, Ella and those movies she likes to watch, right? But she wants to go see the people. She wants to go see the way the people are living. She wants to go see the parties, the culture. She wants to see all that is happening. Again, why are they there? Because Jacob lied to his brother, went the opposite way. And Josephus tells us that she had been attending a festival. But it's highly probable that she had been often and freely mixing in the society of this place and that she being a simple and inexperienced and a vain young woman had been flattered by the attention of the ruler's son. There had to have been some sort of time and opportunity of acquaintance to produce the strong attachment that we'll see this man Shechem had for her. And again, where was Jacob? Where was Leah? Where was her accountability? Where was her family? Well, you know, accountability is twofold, but when you have a 14-year-old daughter or when you have a younger sister, you got to be attentive. You got to care for them. And as we look at this chapter, it just seems as if Jacob was focused on himself. And as fathers, that's a dangerous place to be, simply focused on yourself. It's going to damage your marriage. It's going to damage your family. It's going to damage your kids. And each and every one of us, single or married, our decisions affect the people around us more than we're willing to be honest with ourselves about. Whether you're three years old or whether you're 300 years old, right? Your decisions affect the people around you. And now when you are a parent or when you're the father, the the priest of the home, your decisions amplify the effect on the people around you. And what we're going to see is our own compromises and our own sin, they dull us. They dumb us down and either it makes us hypocrites when we try to correct our children or correct other people. Or even worse, it makes us less likely to stand up for righteousness in our own children. We're willing to let things go because we know if we hold ourselves to that own standard, we will fail and fail miserably, right? You want your kids to walk in the Lord, how do you do that? Set a great example for them. You want your kids to be strong and athletic and healthy, how do you do that? Set a good example for them. You want your kids to make good decisions and make good decisions with their bank accounts, how do you do that? Be a good example for them. But here in verse 2 through 4, we see Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the country, he sees her. Right? And he took her, he laid with her, and he violated her. And his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. And so Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. And this is important for us to know. This is not love. This is not a love story. Don't try to paint it like that whatsoever. Shechem simply wants Dinah for what she can do for him. And that's not love. This is not true agape love. This is not biblical love. This is not the love that Christ has for the church and the husbands should have for their wives. This is simply a selfish and ungodly infatuation and attachment to, again, get what he can get out of Dinah. Verse 5 through 7, it tells us Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, and now his sons were with his livestock in the field. 
So Jacob held his peace until they came. And then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And then the sons of Jacob, they came in from the field. And when they heard it, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. A thing which ought not to be done. I love how plain and simple God's word is. If someone's not married, they shouldn't be lying together. Right? That's it. It should not be done. These things should not happen. But here, verse 5 through 7, we see Jacob, he holds his peace. It's as if it didn't bother him. It's as if it's not that big of a deal to him. And leaders must act like leaders. Not just when everything is smooth and easy. Not just when it's leader appreciation day, right? Not just when you're receiving trophies or awards on the backs of the people that are helping you and working with you. But you need to be a leader when things are difficult. You need to be a leader when no one else is willing to make a stand. And you need to be the first person to stand up. This is what it means to truly be a leader. It's to be willing to, as God's word says, the shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Again, pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastors. Pray for the church leaders. We're held to a higher standard. We're held to be the protectors, the priests, the pastors of the home, of the church, of our own home. So again, pray. Wives, I hope you're praying for your husbands in this season. But David Guzik, he makes a great point. When God's appointed heads do not take appropriate leadership, it creates a void, which is often filled sinfully. Again, that's important for us to know. When God-appointed heads do not take appropriate leadership, it creates a void, which is often filled sinfully. And that's what happens here in this family. That's what happens with David and Absalom, that sin and evil transpired in the home, and the fathers simply stayed quiet. Hey, time will heal this. Time will take care of this. I just need to be gracious I just need to be loving. No, Jesus was perfect love, and yet he called out a lot of people. Called out Peter, called out his disciples, he called out the Pharisees. So a true leader, true love, is willing to call things as they are, the truth spoken in love. And I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand in different pastors' meetings when they're begging and asking the spiritual leader there, will you make a decision? Is this right or is this wrong? And we need to be willing to speak the truth in love. And I'm not sure what grieved or angered the sons of Jacob more. That their sister had been violated or that their father did nothing about it. He simply held his peace. Again, family, how do you deal with sin in the home? Are you okay with it? You just brush it under the rug Or do you deal with it, right? You see the way Moses, through God, deals with sin in the people of Egypt. You see how God deals with Moses and his sin when he sins with the people of Egypt. May we deal with sin within our homes. If not, it just magnifies, it grows, and it's going to continue to grow exponentially until we do something about it. It's also important that in this culture, the brothers had a greater responsibility to protect their own sister than even the father had. 
Hence why her brothers are the ones at the forefront of what's about to transpire. So I don't know why they were with the cattle. I don't know if they were being lazy. I don't know if Jacob, again, he cared for his cattle so much that that's what he put them on. But we know that they take what happened to their sister very much to heart. Verse 8 through 12. Hamor, he spoke with them saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourself in it. And then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me so much dowry and gift and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. And again, here we see how the world acts. There's no remorse. There's no apologies. There's no, man, I'm sorry for what my son has done. How can we make this right? Instead, they are simply seeking to justify their actions and make them look like if they're okay. There's not apologies. There's not sorry. No, how can we just move on from this and make this look okay? How can we move on from this and make this look all right? And Shechem, he truly was infatuated with Dinah, but all the men of Shechem were simply looking for a way to intermarry with Jacob's family so that they could have access to all the cattle, all the servants, and all the prosperity that Jacob had. Verse 13 through 17, But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to the one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you. And we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. It seems as if Jacob's sons have picked up a thing or two from their dad's tricks and schemes. They're using something that's holy and precious and they're using it to their own advantage to destroy these men. Again, they're taking revenge into their own hands, but they're using the tricks and schemes that their father has told them. Again, they were there. They were there when Jacob told Esau, hey, I'll be right behind you. I'll go right after you. Give me a day to rest. Hey, dad, why are we going the opposite way? We just met Uncle Esau. Why are we going the opposite way? What's going on? Dad, didn't you say that, right? And kids are great at that. Kids are great at calling you out and knowing exactly what you said, even if you forget it, right? What must have happened between Jacob and his sons? Verse 18 through 22, their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, they came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of the city saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us. 
to be one people if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Verse 23, we see the true heart of this man Shechem and of the men of the city. Verse 23, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them and they will dwell with us. Again, the true intentions of these men. It wasn't a love story. It wasn't a beautiful story of a family and two worlds colliding, right? As many love stories look like, right? But it's evil. Evil heart. Evil intent. It is not sacrificial agape love. It is selfishness. It's I want to be with this person because I want to get something from them. Whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, or whether it's wealth or something else. And again, family, this is what you get when you deal with the world. They're just after you for what you got. They'll suck you dry, and then they'll drop you off. Verse 24 through 25, And all who went out of the gate of the city, they heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, and all who went out of the gate of his city. Now it came to pass on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. Again, they knew exactly what they were doing. You see, the second and third day were the most painful and incapacitating days after being circumcised. And Simeon and Levi, they knew exactly what they were doing, right? It tells us they came boldly upon the city, knowing that just these two men could destroy the entire city because of their schemes, their devices, their lying, and their cheating. And what they're seeking to do is execute revenge for their sister. And I think there's a part in some of the men that they think, yeah, they're doing right, right? You hurt me, you hurt my family, and right, you're all done. You're all dead, right? Say hello to my little friend. That's what Jesus said, right? No, family. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. So important for us to turn there and look. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Let's start in verse 15. Great chapter. Read it later on. Very, very important chapter. But Romans chapter 12, verse 14, it tells us, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another and do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Family, it's important to remember, God is far better an author of justice and revenge than we are. God is a far better author of justice and revenge than we are. We see David and the approach that he took almost to a fault with his own sons, almost to a fault with Saul, not to a fault with Saul, with his own sons, yes, a fault. But with Saul, he allowed the Lord to do his thing. 
He sat back and he allowed the Lord to do his thing and the Lord did it. And yet he still didn't take the throne. He still waited on the Lord. So are we to be priests and protectors of our home? Absolutely. But now are we supposed to go out and seek revenge and hunt someone down? No, family, right? The way we live, the way we act, it shouldn't be according to the movies and Hollywood. It should be according to God and his word. The most important thing that Jacob should have done is protect his family from the beginning, right? What Jacob, what the brothers should have done is they should have looked at their own lives and said, how did we fail our sister? How did we mess up here? And again, some of the blame is on her as well. She's not absent from any of the blame here. But again, the dad, the mom, where were they? We don't see them anywhere here. Where were the older brothers? We don't see them anywhere here. Verse 26 through 29, and they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword. And they took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain. They plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field. And all their wealth and their little ones and their wives they took captive and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Again, the punishment did not fit the crime. It's one thing they executed revenge on the man or on the evil man's dad, who also seems pretty evil, but they destroy an entire city, taking everyone, taking everything. Again, this is not what the Lord had in store for this family, all because Jacob went with what was comfortable, all because Jacob was self-focused on himself How do I preserve myself? How do I take care of myself? Verse 30, then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. Right? Most of the words in there, it's all about who? It's all about Jacob, right? I, me, my, I, me, my. That's all he's saying throughout the whole thing. Jacob's not concerned with the Lord. Jacob's not concerned with Dinah. Jacob's not concerned with his boys. Jacob is concerned with himself and himself alone. Chuck Smith, he said, Jacob was not so upset by the injustice of what his sons had done as by the dangerous position their actions had put him in. Again, where in the world was Jacob's head at? In this moment, he's not being governed by God. He's being governed by his own emotions, his own feeling, and just what it does for him. And again, dads, we can be so guilty of this. We get home, and what do we think? What do I want? What do I need? I've had a long day at work. What do I need? I need to lay on the couch and watch TV for about eight hours, right? That's what I need. But instead, we should be looking to give. We should be looking to bless. We should be looking to take care of our home. And I'm guilty of it. good pastor friend of mine, Bobby Hargraves, he told me he'd be working in corrections. And as he was in the parking lot of the house in the driveway, he would just be praying, Lord, I can deal with the inmates, but I can't deal with the Little Mermaid and all these movies and all these shows. So, Lord, fill me with your spirit to help me love on the kids and have the bad time and do all these things. And again, it's, it's prayer. 
It's prayer. You have a long day, different places of work, lots of stress, but to continue to protect the home because the home, after our relationship with the Lord, is the most important thing. Donald Barnhouse, I love this guy. He says, Jacob, you brought that trouble on yourself. You passed your own deceitful nature into your boys. You set them a constant example of guile. They heard you lie to Esau at Peniel and start northwest after he went southeast. They saw your interest in the fat pastures when you pitched your tent in Shechem. You said nothing when Dinah was violated. Talk to God about your own sin before talking to these boys about theirs. That's the truth. But the truth here is take out the name Jacob and write the name Zach, right? Write your own name in there. That parents, many times the first person we need to look at when our kids are doing dumb things it's ourselves. Man, where did you get this from, this selfish nature? You know, the thing is, right, it's from me. It's from the genetics. And now if I'm not being Israel, if I'm not being governed by God in the home, my kids are going to see that. My wife is going to see that. And now they're not going to be governed by God. And maybe you are being governed by God, but don't say, hey, they're at an age where they do their own thing. I'm at my age. I do my own thing. If you're in the same home, you're in the same home. You are the priest. You are the protector. You are the provider. So then you need to call things for what they are. And if things are sinful, you got to deal with them. If things are holy, hey, you get to deal with them as well. But Jacob, he passed all the blame on his sons. What have you done? What have you guys done? What are you guys doing? When he should have been looking in the mirror saying, Lord, how did I allow my family to get to this? Lord, after you protected me, Lord, after you blessed me, Lord, after you were so gracious to me, after, Lord, you changed Esau's heart, Esau running at me with 400 men, Lord, how did I get here? How did I allow my selfishness to get here? And again, verse 30 and verse 29 and 30, Jacob, he's just focusing on himself. Man, how did you allow this to happen? They're going to kill me. They're going to destroy me. And yet the brothers simply answer him. The last verse there. Should he treat our sister like a harlot? And there's no answer there. We don't see any answer for Jacob there. I think the Lord used his sons to give him that humble pie. I think the Lord used his sons to say, hey, you know, the way they dealt with it was wrong. But what they're saying is right. What they're saying is true. And again, the next chapter, right away, the Lord tells him, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Again, Jacob, I love him and I hate him at the same time, right? We just got to be careful. We got to be careful with Jacob, with this Israel, right? For our own lives. It should be a mirror for our own lives that even the Lord has blessed us, even though the Lord has given us a new name, we are still capable of evil. We are still capable of sin, of the worst of the worst. But for the grace of God, there go I. We need to remember that. 
But now, family, may we not use broken men in Scripture as excuses to continue in broken and sinful ways. I was talking to my wife about this, right? Each of us, we have different Bible characters that are our favorite Bible characters. I just pray that our favorite Bible characters, it's not a cloak or an excuse to be the bad that those people were, right? That's my prayer, that as we look at Jacob, the reason why he's our favorite character is because, wow, Lord, you were so gracious to him, right? Peter's not our favorite character because he constantly put his foot in his mouth because he chopped someone's ear off. Peter's our favorite character because we look at the book of Acts and the potential and power of God in this same broken man. So again, as we look at Jacob, as we look at this man Israel, he is prone to a lot of ups and downs. But yet the Lord still wanted to use him. And we see these two men, Levi and Simeon. And the Lord, he still wanted to use them. He was willing to use them. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 5 through 7, we see here Jacob pronouncing a blessing and a curse on all these 12 brothers. And it says in chapter 49, verse 5 through 7, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and I will scatter them in Israel. And the Lord, he honored this, what Jacob or Israel is praying and blessing on his sons. He gave them a curse. All the other tribes, they were going to have their own piece of property, their own land that they can care and cultivate. But Simeon and Levi, their land was supposed to be just scattered. They were going to have no land. They were going to have no blessing. And family, the same is for us. It's up to us what we want to allow the Lord to do in our lives. You see, God did in fact both divide these two tribes and scatter them all over Israel. But significantly, the way it happened for each tribe, it was different. David Guzik, he says, the, the tribe of Simeon, because of their lack of faithfulness, was effectively dissolved as a tribe. The tribe of Simeon was absorbed into the tribal area of Judah. But the tribe of Levi was also scattered but because of their faithfulness during the rebellion of the golden calf, the tribe was scattered as a blessing throughout the whole nation of Israel. Both were scattered, but one as a blessing and the other as a curse. So again, family, where do we want to be? Do we want to be a part of that blessing that we can say, the Lord is my inheritance? I love seeing that throughout Scripture. Tribe of Levi, hey, the Lord will be your inheritance. What are you consumed with? Is it the things of this world? Is it your bank account? Or are you saying, Lord, I want you to be my inheritance? And the way we live that out is being faithful. When there's sin in the camp, be faithful to stand for righteousness. 